Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host for the most, as always, Adela Marcy. And today, I've got a really fun guest for you. Basically, like I said, season four is all about bringing in legends. I don't like you've seen who I've brought in this year. This year, we're going to keep adding to that by bringing on in none other than my friend uh, Darren Casey. And you can check out his website, CoachDarrenCasey.com. Incidentally, he's one of the sponsors for this episode. And uh, yeah, Darren, thanks for being here, doing this, man. Yeah, excited to dive into some great conversations. So uh, yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, dude, it's kind of crazy because I've known you for literally years. Like we've run in the same circles yet. We've really rarely actually had an actual, I think this is our first phone call as well yeah, right that's now. Right. So before we begin, first thing I'm going to ask right away because I know you're on camera and so am I, but you guys just listen to the audio. Uh, there's a crap ton of books and more importantly, and my, my favorite thing, your wrist is no longer cat. You haven't got a cast on your wrist anymore. Woohoo! Just a big ass scar right now. See this? Oh, For those dude. of you listening, you'll be able to see. But yeah, he'll send me a photo. Recovering well, this. recovering slowly. I uh, got my third workout done today, so I'm trying to build my uh, myself back up physically. But let me tell you, it's been very interesting to gain um, an insight into the world of an inactive business owner. Let me tell you, over the last 16 weeks since I've had a motorbike crash and I broke my leg and my wrist and other things and uh, I've basically been forced into experiencing right what it's typically like to be a worn out, inactive business owner of today. So I've I've, um, I've got some excellent revelations from that. You know, I've turned this experience into a positive, and you know, I'm I'm just amazed at how little I could actually get done. How little capacity I had to stay focused, how I just didn't really feel like doing that much. Um, so yeah, I've got some good things to share, you know, in relation to those um, perspectives from being an inactive, burnt out version of myself. That's quite interesting because that's like, just jumping right off of that, I didn't actually even know mm. you broke your leg. I just thought you busted your wrist pretty badly. I didn't realize that you had all these other injuries. So that's made this like a little bit more interesting and crazier because... Obviously. You are one, and I mean this in the most loving way, psychotic motherfucker, because you don't do anything by halves, and I love that about you. It's okay. one of my favorite things about you. So, okay, let's let's just dive right in into lesson one. What was one of the things that you actually realized immediately? Because I've been burnt out. I know what that's like. It sucks. What was the thing that you found yourself doing? Okay, yeah, good question. So, now... I'm used to feeling on fire every day, right? Good levels of energy, good levels of um, mental focus, and and a lot of reserves way beyond my business day, right? In three or four hours, I was getting done a lot of stuff, and then that enabled me to enjoy my life. That's a big value of mine, which is we're not here to work, man. We're not here to hustle. We're here to capture memory, memories, capture life, and enjoy experiences with who we love. So. A big value of mine is making sure that my business serves me and what I want to do, whereas it never used to be that way. So I guess to answer your question, what it was like to feel burnt out, burnt out and you know, when your body is in a state of inflammation and stress, right, I've got a broken leg, I had a smashed up wrist, I just had to wait six weeks to get a, a steel plate put in there with 10 screws and all this kind of stuff and you know, I couldn't use my arm, I was in pain a lot. So done some damage to my shoulder. Anyway, so that, all this kind of stuff was going on. And I was just struggling to, to feel alert. I was struggling to gain um, that fire, right? I was trying to 
get certain things done after 30, 40 minutes. I just felt worn out, like I wanted to go and have a sleep again. I was like, man, I've just had, you know, a full night's rest, although probably not as good as you usually have, right? But I just started to, to really see what a lot of the guys who I previously helped take care of this area of their life, high producers, high performers, and at how much of a grind it was to try to maintain um, the capacity to produce. And not only that, in my personal life, it affected me in terms of I didn't really feel like doing that much. I became I, I became lazy. I would just feel like I wanted to just sit and recover. Now, on the contrary, allowing my body space to rest, allowing my body space to heal was very important. That's another big value of mine anyway. But I just felt guilty. So I don't know if that resonates with Yep. You out there, any of you who want to take a time out and you're kind of addicted to the hustle, right? And you kind of feel guilty of, man, I feel like I'm not producing, so my time feels of low worth, or I feel like I could be doing something better with my space, my time, you know, I could be programmed to produce. So that was a big thing. I was learning to accept that I needed time out to rest, you know, to recover, let my body repair and recuperate. Um, so that was one thing. And secondly, it really gave me some interesting insights into what the typical business owner out there is struggling with in relation to they don't really realize how um, little capacity they have to produce and get shit done compared to feeling on fire. So these these um, perspectives are really, really interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing more about that. Well, no, that's actually a real quite powerful thing. Just as a side note is, um, as we're speaking right now, I'm actually going through that myself, and you've probably seen that with my Facebook posts, is I'm starting to break back into the whole, like, momentum shift of my life. And th that could happen to anyone. Like, you don't have to have, like, an accent to do that. You can be listening to this right now and kind of going, I know I can do more, but why can't I do more? Because that's a question I had for a really long time. It's like, I, I know I'm capable of more, but why am I not doing it? And that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on was how the hell did you actually get yourself on fire initially? And how did you get yourself back on there after, after the accident? Because that's just like a crazy journey back. Yeah. Well, it was only six weeks ago tomorrow when I was, you know, having my wrist um, operated on. So pretty, you know, I've got good grip and, you know, I've not got my muscles back yet, but it's getting there. But, um, how, for, for the people how that did don't I get know myself? He, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, for the people that didn't see that, he just flexed his muscle and immediately made me feel like slightly <laughs> insecure about my own oh, body. Man, you know, it, but in a good way. I, I was amazed <laughs> when, when your arm's in plaster. Like, within two days, apparently, your, your arm, if it's not being used right, if it's locked into this plastic cast, your arm, your muscles start to waste away. So wow. after six weeks initially, when they took the cast off, my arm looked like a stick. <laughs> so that was a big shocked to my system I was like what the hell man like my body is wasting away you know trying to dress yourself in one arm trying to just live life in one arm you kind of appreciate how health how how lucky we are to be healthy right so that's the, the other revelations which was not taking having more gratitude for being healthy and why we are looking for a lot of reasons to not take care of ourselves really so that's I guess another conversation so I guess to answer your question efficiently, how do I access being on fire, right? So the Man on Fire cheat sheet is something which I created, which is like a free download, so any of the listeners can go and grab that from my site. But what this has, it's seven steps to that I've experienced over the last 20 years, right, with working with hundreds and thousands of people. These are the seven steps which I've seen has the biggest impact <clears throat> in achieving the capacity to think and to physically produce 
more consistently. And consistency is the big word. So the other thing, the other side effect of that is momentum, like you say, momentum and consistency. They're the two big things that we have to set up. So if everything that you're doing right now today over the last few days, if you can't maintain that over 90 days, over 180 days, then it's not a consequence of something. So just last week, as a quick example, it was my birthday. We went away for a few days to the Lake District in the UK. So just time to switch up again. And I had a product launch, a webinar for my FitPro audience where we basically did a launch, right? And one of the one of the nights I had to, you know, in quote, grind it out. I, had, I stayed up late and I pushed out and I got the slides done and we launched it and then I went away to the lakes and forgot about it, right? Which is good. But it wasn't good because I did something which I never do, which was I pushed myself too hard and for the next two or three days, I was just useless. <laughs> I was useless. So this is a pattern that I see with a lot of my um, clients and a lot of the marketplace, which is grinding 24-7, you know, hustling, push it, you know, pushing this stone up the mountain and keeping going. There's no out, right? So if I was thinking, if I'm, you know, a pretty optimal producing guy, I understand how all this stuff works and understand how to set my environment and my uh, mindset and the habits up for success. If that was affecting me to that level, right, after me doing that for two days, <laughs> where for the next three days I was pretty useless, I was just not really present at all. My body was in a state of stress and just fatigue. I was thinking, man, how do people do this every day? Like every week, every month, there's guys out there who are subscribed to these, this belief that they have to hustle and they have to work and this is what it takes to be successful. And, and this is why it's quite controversial when I have conversations in certain environments and groups when I'm saying most business owners, they're about 5% five to 10% of their capacity. And they get defensive, you know, they're not really aware of what that means in the grand scheme of things. Because <clears throat> some of them say, well, I'm doing well, I'm hitting 100K a month. It's like, well, okay, imagine if you could hit those numbers in one or two hours per day instead of having to stay in front of your screen for 16 hours trying to grind out your day and your life just doesn't feel like it's one that you subscribe to. You just feel worn out and everything around you is kind of suffering, your relationships, your sex life, your hobbies, the fun, the fulfillment in your world. And this, I love this conversation. You can see that I'm, I could talk yep. about this forever. But and I want you to keep going, dude. Just keep going. Yeah, but it's. Um, I think it's very important because there's a reason why there's so many business owners out there who are divorced, who are obese, who are experiencing you know, anxiety and stress and overwhelm as their norm, right? So they've got high, typically high levels of tolerances to stress, typical high levels, high levels of tolerance to fatigue and anxiety and overwhelm, and that perceives to be normal, which obviously we know it's not normal. Um, this then links again to, well, the drastic consequences of that are, you know, heart attacks, diabetes, and all these um, diseases that are preventable, which typically our previous generation wasn't experiencing until their 60s and beyond. We're now experiencing that in 30s and 40s because of our lifestyle habits and this chasing the dollar, right? I would say and then you see the other side of things, which is the depression. You know, it's the biggest reason in the UK and throughout the US as well. I think the I think it's under under 40s. It might be in the 30s, but I'm sure it's under 40s. Um, the biggest reason for death, preventable death, suicide. What what's going on? There must be a reason why this is there. It's depression and all those things attached. 
it's forties, just a, as a heads up, and I yeah, didn't 40s, see, 40s. and it's also like just to quickly jump on that is this idea that people in their twenties are now feeling obesity and like there's a guy I actually met and um, it, it was a case that really shocked me. Um, I was because uh, my mum works in the she's a palliative care nurse, so I went to work with her and I actually saw this. There was someone that was twenty nine that was suffering from dementia. I'm like, how are you getting dementia at 29? That's like a thing that you get when you're older. And it turned out if you looked at this guy's lifestyle, it was like completely stressed out from the get-go. It was like, he's got nowhere to let go. Everything he does is just like, hold on tight, and his brain just overloaded. Crazy. Um, yeah, well, that's a huge subject. Dementia and these mental, um, huge mental illness issues. You know, when you look, it depends how deep you want to go into this, and a yeah. lot of people are very close-minded with this subject. But it's it's really down to our environment, our lifestyle, and our food that we're toxicating our bodies with, really. But that's for another deep conversation. It depends on your level of awareness there. But yeah, you know, dementia and these, you know, what we call it, older population diseases, shall we call it? There's a reason why that's drastically. You know, reoccurring to a much higher level, and, and it's really due to how we live. You know, our whole ecosystem around us is trying to um, project, in quotes, what food is. You know, eighty <laughs> percent of the food out there isn't food, and that's again is um, going down to our culture of having everything immediately at our fingertips. You know, this gratifying culture. And as a busy business owner, they're easy targets to just grab and go, grab a snack. You're in a chase of energy, caffeine, stimulants, sugar. We want a stimulation of the illusion of temporary energy. And again, all these things, all these subjects, they're all connected. Oh, entirely. I mean, it all comes down to, um, well, so many greats, if you look at everything, including yourself, you've actually said this, is this idea that your health is actually your true wealth. Because if you look after your body and your health, everything else grows simultaneously. Because um, I think it was Brian Horn actually said it as well about you, was this ideal that he was like, hey, I was working out, I was doing all this stuff, but nothing changed until I shifted my nutrition because of Darren. And I was like, okay, that's pretty amazing. So that's something that we're going to jump onto right now is this idea of what is food in Darren's world. Because I love cooking. That's one of my favorite things I love doing. I don't like getting takeout. Takeout is kind of like my okay, I really don't feel like cooking today. I'm feeling really, I, I just need something to quick grab and go. But the majority of the time, like 80, 90% of the time, I cook at home. I just make food all at home. Don't really use any sugars. It's just more natural stuff that I can pick up that's organic, like broccoli, veg, meats, fish, stuff like that. I want to know what yeah. your take on that is. <clears throat> Sorry, just just repeat the question. I was just kind of so, bit... Uh, I know I went, off on a, I went for a bit of a, a run around, but I actually meant also, what is your view on like what real food is? Like, what do you class as real food? Yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. Now, you know, I, the real quick answer to that is simplicity, right? So sometimes things are so simple that we don't believe that that's the answer, and we're always looking for something that might be more complex, more complicated. We're looking for supplementation. We're looking for all these hacks. When most people aren't doing the basics, right? They're not hydrated. They're not consuming two to three liters of water consistently enough to, you know, satisfy all the processes that are going to be more efficient because we're hydrated. So, what is real food? It's anything that has come from a land or an animal that hasn't 
got another ingredient in it. <laughs> is it beef? Is it broccoli? What else is in there? If that's the only ingredient, then you could probably put your money on that's that's probably pretty good for you. Anything which has got more than one ingredient in it, typically something's been taken away and there's gonna be a negative side effect to that. So again, sometimes the simple answers don't seem to be um, the most effective, but let me tell you, if there's more than one ingredient in your food, <laughs> there's something wrong. Yeah, no, I can I can live with that. It's one of the reasons why I actually tend to eat um, Kind of, we're going to jump into a little bit of a religious thing right now. Welcome to yeah. that weird part of this show. It's actually I love I, religious conversations. Well, it's actually the reason that I either eat kosher or I eat halal. Because I'm Muslim, but like um, I essentially... The reason I eat halal, it's not so much the way the animal is killed, it's the way the animal's raised. It has to be free-range, it has to be GMO-free, it has to have a good life, it has to have all these prerequisite conditions before it dies. So for having that in my mind, I'm like, that is the easiest way that you can actually find, for me at least... I find the ingredients there, short of me raising the damn thing and killing the damn thing and eating the damn thing. Because <laughs> if I know what's going into it, then I know I can eat it, but it's the best way I can actually trust it. So with that said for you, as someone, if someone isn't like my way inclined or whatever it is, how would they themselves find a good source of animal protein, such as like beef or chicken? Like what type of stuff would they need to buy? Yes, it's a good it's a good huge conversation this because we're under the illusion or the impression that we're subscribing to a belief system or a culture or a, what would, what would we call it um, or, yeah not so much a religion a religious belief more of like um, a tradition right so it's a tradition to, to do certain things a certain way and sometimes we can aimlessly accept them yep. without questioning them and that doesn't mean that they're actually moral. So this is opening a huge conversation around something else, really. But really, what I'm getting at is we're, we're presented with how things should be done or shouldn't be done quite often. And very, you know, less often, we don't tend to question them, right? So we're kind of accepting what's presented to us. We trust, you know, how certain things are done. We trust maybe if something is halal or something is organic or something is GMO-free. And we kind of assume that that isn't, um, what's the word? We're kind of assuming that, that what's presented to us is the truth. And sometimes it can be difficult to ask questions and look for answers and look deeper into what's really going on. For example, with I, you know, most of, if not all of the food that I eat other than 10% of the time um, is organic. But then you kind of have to say, well, is it really organic? What does organic mean? It really means that there's a license that somebody's paid to tick some boxes that there are certain quantities of um, chemicals that are, you know, in quotes, allowed, which are, in quotes, proven to not be toxic to the body. But again, we're playing the game here of we're trusting what's presented to us and we don't really know, like you said, unless we're killing or growing the animal or the, the vegetables ourselves, then the whole entire ecosystem that we live in in the modern world is, you know, the soil's polluted, the air's polluted, the water system's polluted. It's, it's, you know, the water isn't that we drink isn't even living water. It's dead water. There's no minerals in there. It's just wet. Yep. <laughs> so it's a huge subject. It's one that I find difficult to answer. So, like you say, unless we live in the mountains somewhere and, it's, and we've got clean Canadian air and we have produced that produce ourselves, then we just have to try to make 
the next best choice, right, which is organic, have foods which are of one ingredient. Um, if you can find where the sources of those produces come from, if it's local, even better. You know, there's some horror stories from foods that have come from China with garlic that has been dyed whiter and apples that have been um, dyed browner and rice which have been dyed, you know, dyed even more whiter and all these kind of things, right? Wow. You will not know. You're buying this produce from a store. You don't really know where it's come from. You know, you've seen all the, the horror stories with horse meat and all these different things that are supposed to be in Tesco's beef department. Yep. <laughs> I, think, I think what, to answer that question really quickly, I think it's, we need to start questioning what we're accepting really, what's presented to us. Um, so that, so to answer your question in layman's terms, if we can look for foods with one ingredient that's organic, that's one of the step forwards that you can make to initially start to gain control over what you eat. Um, locally produced foods can be better, but even foods that's come from afar, it depends on the process. Like I shop at an organic supermarket, all the food is grown in um, you know, an organic environment, which is within 10 miles radius. So I've got a good, a good chance of um, trust that those produce is actually coming from where I'm being told it's coming from. But when you go to a supermarket, <laughs> who knows? Yeah, you really don't know. It could be, was it flown overnight from another country? Do you know where it's, the actual work is? It does have its like drawbacks. I mean, it's one of the it's one of the cool things I do like about living uh, where I live in London is there is an actual produce market literally every day right around the corner where they get fresh produce. And so I'm like, there's a supermarket or there's that. I'm like, I'll just, I'll just go there. I'll just go pick it up from there because I know where it is. Oh man, it's, it's a great conversation because people then say to me things like, oh Darren, it's, it's too expensive, this organic uh, food. It's... And I'm like, well, maybe you should be asking why this food in the supermarket is so cheap. <laughs> Yeah. Why is it so cheap? It's because really, are you actually getting much nutrients from that? And also, where where else are you? Where else is your money going? You're spending twelve pounds on a cocktail at the weekends, but you won't spend twelve pounds on an organic chicken. Yep. <laughs> it's so one it's of those priorities, really. Oh, I agree entirely. It's something that I used to say to my friends, um, and this is a different subject entirely. Is my friends say, "How are you able to live in London so cheaply?" I'm like, honestly, I spend most of my time cooking. So like, how do you mean? I was like, I cook at home. I make my own meals. So like, oh, but what about, I'm like, there's a lot of good restaurants. Don't get me wrong. And some of them are absolutely lovely, but you can recreate the exact dish at home if you know what you're doing. And I used to be a cook. So I'm like, it's not that hard for me. I get actual like stress relieving pleasure from this. So it's another thing. And again, it's priority to where you see things. For me, books are my big thing. You won't be able to see anymore, but in your screen, you can see like, at least, what well, I'd say about 10, I'd say about 30 books, 20, 30 books right there, and you've got The War of Art and a few other great books that I've actually read. Yes, it's, it's a good one, that, because, you know, a lot of us, 30s, 40s, 50s, don't really develop the skills to feed ourselves and have tasty, you know, nutritious food. We kind of lost, and I think it's a real shame that in you know, our modern-day world, we're kind of too busy to take care of our nutritional side of our life. So a lot of the guys I work with, you know, the high producers, we don't even have them bothering cooking for themselves. We get that delegated out, their food is delivered. They, they don't want to be spending the mental power and time, you know, that cognitive load to decide what to eat and what they're going to have and cook, put something together. Now, some of them do enjoy that process. They perceive it to be a nice stress reliever, right? A relief from the work mode and a switch off or a transition from the business mindset to their personal mindset. So delegation of 
that's just a real quick nugget of wisdom here. If you can delegate your food out, that's one of the biggest return on investments that a busy business owner can have. Prevents the decision fatigue. You're probably going to save 10 to 12 hours a week preparing, cooking, and washing up. Man, that is a lot of time that you can use to produce. So that's something that I do. Occasionally I'll cook, but I have it all sent to me every one to two weeks. It's frozen, it's all fresh, it's organic. And I eat out 10% of the time, and there we go. And that saves me 10 hours a week. That's pretty awesome. I love that. Okay, so I'm gonna, we're backtracking for a second because I do want to jump to this idea that you actually picked up while you were... Um, while you're getting back to being the man on fire here, what is it that you found was the quickest, oh, not the quickest, what was the way that you started finding was the pathway and the difference between when you were, basically, how do I put this in words that makes sense because I'm rambling again. Essentially, it's when you were down and going through the process of kind of looking at your business going, I'm from a burnt out business owner, what shifts did you rapidly make? I mean, what was the first of the rapid shifts that you made? to get back um, to where you are yeah so I'd say it's really accepting new values and raising your standards and again this is something that people don't put much value on they're always looking for Darren give me all the good stuff give me your 12 to 20 minute workout system give me the intermittent fasting protocol give me the um, strategic intermittent treat day that we can use once a week give me all this stuff it's all great this is all cool and I'm like okay I can give you this and 99% of you will do zero, nothing with it. After about two days, you're gonna not do it. Why is that? Because we're not really creating the belief system, the environment, and the standards to, sh to make those huge shifts into our approach. When I'm talking about making huge, sh huge shifts, it's about really putting us first. So to answer your question, to become a man on fire, to become a high producer, so you're not only looking good, gaining more confidence, having more energy, and all the all the great things that comes with that. It's really accepting that how we're previously living is, in terms of our health and our well-being, is pretty low in our standards, right? That's required. Now, if we are expecting um, great things, great results, we have to really raise our standards in this area, and that means we need to accept um, we need to really accept and be truthful with how committed we are with this area of our life and the consequence and the cost of not being committed in this area of our life. So here's a quick example. When you start to make a list of how being worn out, how being fat, how being tired, how having little energy, how having little self-certainty, little self-confidence in your self-image and all these things, right? How it's affecting your personal relationships, your sex lives, your capacity to be a great father or wife in terms of being active and going on adventures and experiences with your children and playing and, you know, having the energy to kind of be stimulated in, in, your, in your personal lives. These are all the costs to not having a body and a mind that is of higher standard. And when we start to accept that, we can start, we can start to build a lot of value in it, right? We can start to see how we're suffering. We can start to see how our business is suffering and the, you know, the opportunity cost there. And we can start to see the consequences to our health and the consequences to our you know, less fulfilling relationships, less fulfilling sex lives and all the rest of it. Then we can start to say, wow, this is really a huge, you know, a bigger problem, a bigger impact, a negative impact than I, I was aware of. So we start to create the awareness, awareness really of raising our standards. So this shift initially happens and then what happens, we start to create the space to implement. 
So we have to raise our standards, be aware of the costs of you know, maintaining a low standard and low values. And then the huge shift that most people need to make is that they can't do this themselves. They need way more support, right? So everybody who has the most success in their business, in politics, in sports, wherever it is, they've got teams of people around them to support them. And then the typical business owner who's just working like a dog wonders why his health is suffering, why his body's suffering, why he can't produce to the level that he could you know, a few years ago, and he's got zero support there. <laughs> zero support, zero guidance, zero accountability, and he's trying to figure this stuff out for himself. And then they get to the stage of micro-commitments, which means they're gonna then invest a small amount of money, a small amount of time, on information, which means there's low risk to following through, there's low risks to actually gaining what's really required, which is huge shifts in your thinking, huge shifts in your commitments. So it's a big area, this one. So to summarize, we need to raise our standards and we need to get way more support so we can create a new value system. And that then helps us to start implementing stuff that matters, e.g. our morning routine, our hydration, creating space and protecting space for our activity, exercise, and then having strategic um, switch-off space from technology to decompress and to manage stress and anxiety, raise awareness, and then having times where your workday is done. So your cell phone is in the kitchen drawer, whatever that is, right? And you're present in your personal lives. So these are the things then that start to compound and amplify and help each other. That's amazing. I love that. I genuinely love that just simply because you have like every aspect that now something I do want to ask because you did answer it, but I want to get more of a direct answer to it, if that's okay. Yeah. And that is this idea of raising your standards. What is your personal favorite way of doing so? Because I've got my way and I have raised my standards over the years, but I'm still finding myself hitting certain peaks and valleys. So I want to know what is Darren's way of raising his standards? So I think it comes down to being honest with what you're committed to and looking at your results. So this is the first shift. You can say, I'm committed, Darren, I'm, I'm committed to you know, being healthier and giving my wife the best version of me and you know, I'm committed to being super confident and physically more capable. And it's like, okay, so what tells you that? So if you ask yourself this question when you're aiming for an outcome, so okay, so what tells you where is the evidence that's telling you that you're that you have that level of commitment? And it's very difficult to answer if you're not committed or you haven't raised your standards to that level. So some of the things that um, I get my guys to do is, apart from the assessment and making those shifts, we get them to um, create 60 minutes of silent space away from technology, whether you go into nature or whether you go down to you know, somewhere, somewhere which is neutral territory away from your office and your home distractions. And there's five questions which you get them to answer, which is looking at your self-image. How do you see yourself? Um, and then we future pace things. So we say, how do you see yourself? What do you, you know, how does that align with your values? What are important to you? Where do you want to be 12 months from now and five years from now? So we reframe the thinking of your approach so a lot of the guys, when they say, Darren, I want to do this and I want to do that, and they're kind of going, you know, the person, the entrepreneur personality type goes from zero to 100. And when I'm helping them see that we need to probably spend two to four weeks to start to shift their thinking and start to gain momentum and to, to experience some small, we call it the 1% per day, the small shifts, 1% per day, that add up over four weeks to a huge shift. And then we 
develop that culture of aiming at an approach that's going to be serving you for the next two to 10 years, right? For the next decade. Now, when we start to approach things from that perspective, we can then start to be honest with our current approach. So when people are going through all these crazy diets and these crazy workouts and these short-term approaches. So and when I say, you know, two to 10 years from now, can you still see yourself doing this? And they start to get these anxious feelings, these stressed out feelings and like, fucking hell, man, this is, this is just a grind. I can't be doing this. You know, I'm going to do this for 90 days and then you know, they get to day five and they've given up, right? <laughs> yep. It's just, it's just not set up for the long-term win. You know, we have to hit daily wins consistently and set ourselves up for the long-term approach. So for the next two to 10 years, what does that look like? Well, in my world, we spend 12 to 16 weeks making the shifts and you're thinking and your environment gaining the commitments and then start to create the space and the support to implement those commitments. So it's hard for me to give you real quick, direct answers. And I would always be wary of people who do that, who yeah. tell you to do this and to do that because it lacks context on the grand scheme, right? Yeah, because everyone's so, got their own like, little method really of how to get there. Yeah, there isn't really a method. There is, I have the 80% thinking. So throughout you know, my 20 years of doing this with hundreds and hundreds of guys, I've got a process that 80% of the time fits most people. And it's what gives them certainty. And then my job is to help them break that, down that process, help them to understand it, and then implement it. And then 20% of that process, we have to then dial in and customize as we go. And that's how we make it fit that individual. So yeah, creating space to get honest with yourself is the first thing. And then secondly, getting way more support and accepting it's gonna cost you money. It's either gonna cost you money up front to get that support, or it's gonna cost you way, way more in the long run by trying to Fix this area of your life with low commitments, micro commitments by being cheap, all right? If we're, if we're being cheap, we're going to get cheap results. So this is the big shift in a lot of the guys I work with thinking, which is this is an area which is responsible for producing all the results in all areas of my life, and I'm being cheap with it. So start investing in this area of your life way, way more, and the compounding returns that are going to serve you for the next two to ten years, it's, it becomes loose change, right? Yep, yep. I mean, if you, if you if you shift one thing right now and it's the biggest block out of your life and you spend all your time right now, how many how much deeper is that dividend going to be for you than trying to like slowly shift it over time? I mean, you could spend yeah. the next 10 years. It, it's the option of I can spend the next 10 years slowly chipping away trying to get into that zone. Or I can spend the next year completely breaking through that and spend the next nine years enjoying the dividends of the fruits of the labor I did in that one year. Exactly. That, that's, that's the approach, really. You're taking the pressure off and trying not to, to, to change your whole entire existence in 30 days. <laughs> yeah. You know, 10 years of bad habits. Um, it takes time. It's, it's like anything. You know, we want a million dollar business. It's going to take time. We're not going to do it in 90 days. We're going to have a different approach, right? And it's the same with the area of your life that is your body. But we're just living in a world now where everything's in fast forward. Everything's accelerating. So, it's becoming, to a degree, less and less of a priority. But what you're, what you're seeing is people getting burnt out and failing and blowing their business up and their relations up, relationships up very, very quick. Whereas the guys who are investing in the long game, playing the long game, man, you can't catch them up. They're in acceleration as well. And they're physically and spiritually and in terms of their fulfillment, transitioning those, you know, that wisdom into their business. And yeah. that's really the approach that the winners take. I'm talking million dollars a month producers who I work with. So I get a lot of wisdom from them in terms of their thinking. And it's very hard to 
translate that level of wisdom down to you know under a million dollar per year earners because they're conditioned to believe that hustling, grinding it out, hit hit the hit the numbers, and then we can take care of our health later. Well, man, it's a it's a Russian roulette, you know. Yeah, it's like you might not even get to that point where you can handle it, and by the time you do, you might not be able to physically manage it. So that's another thing. So my yeah. favorite part of the show, I've got. Three questions I'm going to ask you. It used to be like this really weird. It started off as one question, then it got to two, and now it's three. So I guess the three, my first question of three is, out of the three books that you would recommend anyone to read, including one fiction book or a movie, depending, can be a fiction book or a movie, what would they be? Okay. So Jesse Itzler is a friend of mine. He's someone I've connected with quite a bit. I don't know if you know Jesse Itzler. Yep. I think Good I've got guy. his book there, actually. Let me see if it's here. That's not here. So 30 days living with a seal or 30 days with a seal. So this guy, Jesse, billionaire, is the husband of Sarah Blakely from Spanx. And he owns, you know, a, a Learjet company. He owns, uh, he sold Vito coconut water to, I think it was Coca-Cola or something like that. He is a co-owner of the Atlanta Hawks basketball team. This guy is, you know, a high, high level producer. And he's in constant um, pursuit of, um, how would I say, constant pursuit of what he calls building his life resume. So it's not just in business, but in terms of creating the space to enjoy his life and get a lot from his health and his life. So I would read that. It's a really entertaining book. There's a lot of wisdom in there. And, and just to summarize the book, he, he invites a Navy SEAL to live with him for 30 days because he wants to access his level of discomfort, his level of discipline, and this is the 100-mile man, right? He runs 100-mile races and stuff at this time of his life. And he still hired a Navy SEAL to live with him for 30 days after you met, met him on this race. I won't tell you more than that because they'll ruin the story, but That's that was a really powerful book that I found when this guy can have everything he wants in the world, right? And he's pursuing discomfort and he wants to gain access to just one or two percentage percentage shifts in his world to help him in his business and in his um, thinking in his personal life. So 30 days living with a seal with Jesse. So I really enjoyed that one. I recommend that. Um, secondly, Psycho-Cybernetics. Very, very good book. Classic. Psycho-Cybernetics. Got it on my shelf here. So I re-listen re or reread this every year and I get a lot of different things from it each time. And it's really good to become aware of your self-image and how you see yourself. So very, very good that one. What else have we got for you? Um, the War of Art is very good as well. I'm not going to hear The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. That's a very good um, read in terms of helping you to become aware of why we lack um, the discipline and why we're in pursuit of distraction, right, from actually getting things done. So it helps you to understand your bad habits, really, and why we're in a, an environment of constant distraction. So The War of Art. It helps. It really helps you to overcome like procrastination and things like that. So very good. Was there another book that you wanted? No, we'll go with those three because those were awesome. You can go as many as you want, but I know you. You're like me. You'll get here's like a list of twenty. I'm like, damn, dude. Because so, like, there's so many great books out there. So again, because I'm very wary of time with us right now. Um, so I'm gonna skip set the second question. I'm actually gonna give everyone the answer. The second question is usually how when you were like your confidence is completely rock bottom. How did you raise back yourself back up? Permit me to answer this, and that is, you get onto Darren's actual mailing list for the Man on Fire checklist, and you follow that because I just opted in. It's actually kind of cool. Um, and the third, I've got some videos and the PDF, and 
What's interesting, nobody, 97% of people download this stuff and they do nothing with it. But yep. if you've got it there, the 3% of you out of 100 will implement those seven things, excuse me, and immediately you'll experience huge wins. Awesome stuff. Cool stuff there. And the third question, and this is a quick one for you. If you can if you can give three simple tips for anyone that's listening to this right now to take action today, what would they be to actually help them move forward and gain the momentum they have? And so, so you hear my door one, handle go. <laughs> yeah, so the first one is to stop and to step back and to look at what the hell are you doing and seeing if it aligns with where you want to go. Now, that might lead into people not really knowing where the hell they want to go, right? So get clear on where the hell you want to go two years from now and start to reverse engineer that down into 90 days, into 30 days, into seven days and saying, right, is what I'm doing this week, you know, aligning with the end goal? That would be the first thing. The second thing, <clears throat> have a drink of water. Again, really, really simple. Get yourself a litre bottle of water and have that at your desk every day. Yeah, it's going to make you get up and go for a pee and give yourself some mental space as well. But if you're not hydrated, then you, you can't produce anywhere near the level that you're capable. So stop, have a drink of large drink of water and try to, to develop the habit of being hydrated. And the third thing is, I would say, go to bed early. <laughs> Switch off from technology at between 4 p.m. and 7 p.m and allow your brain to decompress and to stop fueling this you know, mental stimulation which is keeping you awake. Now everything improves when we get good quality sleep, so we've got to just try to eliminate our um, you know, exposure to technology in the screen. So if you're doing those things, man, again it's so simple, right? So simple it doesn't seem believable, but if you do those three things, it's going to help you do everything else. You're going to start to see clarity, and you're not going to be in this state of hustling, which is a form of destruction. Yep, agreed. And um, simplicity usually gives you the biggest dividends anyway. That's how it is. Guys, check out Darren's website, coachdarrencasey.com. Pick up his guide. Just literally follow the man everywhere you can. Something we didn't talk about as well as the Fit Entrepreneur magazine as well, if I remember correctly. That's another thing that you yeah, guys do. Yeah, that's right. Check <laughs> yeah. that out. Uh, yeah, so Fit Entrepreneur Mag, just to really share what that's about in 10 seconds. I interviewed a lot of the high producers that I work with and guys who I couldn't get access to, you know, guys who, like Jesse Itzel and all these guys, just to learn and share the wisdom of how did they solve this puzzle of becoming a super high producer whilst enjoying health, good relationships, and good life, right? So their business was serving them. So you'll find there's 14 issues, you'll find some great stuff. And you'll probably start to accept this new belief that hustling is bullshit. Oh, I agree. I already preaching to the converters what it is. Guys, check out <laughs> Darren's website. As always, uh, share, review, give us a rating, whatever is on the show and on this podcast. And as always, if you want to check out other episodes, check out adelamarcy.com or adelamarcy unplugged on iTunes and online. Darren, it's been a genuine pleasure having you on, my friend. Thank you for just coming in and bringing the heat with you. Yeah, well, that was of value to somebody out there. Don't hate, just give it a go. <laughs> Take care, guys. Have a great uh, have a great weekend, week, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode of Battle Marcy Unplugged.